0: It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I am the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD, Get You Done Venture Studios. We are a premier AI and quantum venture studio located in the heart of Silicon Valley. We believe that intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities are not. So today I have an incredible guest. So Marcus is a serial entrepreneur. He's got an amazing background. He is the director of Image Machine. He's got everything from being a commando with the Singapore Armed Forces, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today, to being a serial entrepreneur. So we want to talk about that. And with that, I'd like to bring uh, him on board. So, Marcus, how are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for your introduction. I think it's really well done.
0: So, you know, one of the things you said is, You know, you help AI users unlock their full potential for providing the image data for the computer vision applications. So tell us a little bit about that. And let's talk about, you know, but first, how in the world did you become a commando in the Singapore Armed Forces?
1: Okay, uh, let me address the questions in chronological order. Yeah. Yeah. So so I was a commando in uh, Armed Forces because in Singapore, uh, conscription is mandatory for everybody. So, uh, they make all of us go through a medical assessment. And uh, during the medical assessment, one of the things they do is also uh, uh IQ test. So, what I'm told is that you need to be in the top uh, ten percent, something like that, before they, you are given an interview, and uh, assessment for the commandos. So they they get everyone onto the commando camp, and then they make us do all sorts of personality quizzes, more IQ tests and a physical fitness test to determine whether you're suitable to be a commando. And then uh, if you pass all them, they interview you on the spot. And uh, for me, I think during my interview, what sealed the deal was uh, the would asked me, how do you handle stress? Yeah. So I told him that uh, I usually try not to focus on the problem, but I think of the solution instead. And if the problem has no solution, then I just don't think about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, that's a good so if it doesn't have a solution, you just don't think about it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if the problem has no solution, what's the point of worrying, you know? Yeah, yeah. so
0: I, you did that for what? Um, I almost two years, right?
1: Yeah, uh, for us, it's a one year, 10 months, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it was quite an interesting uh experience. Uh, if I could turn back time, I would choose the same path again because it taught me a lot of uh important life lessons. And uh, uh and I mean, I got quite a few good buddies from there too, yeah now, uh would you do it again? yeah, I would definitely do it again, yeah now, was fact, it uh,
0: working out for two years was it like a big workout was it was it
1: uh yeah, it was definitely a big workout. There were many times where uh my physical limits was pushed to to levels I didn't know was possible, but i I mean i I'm very grateful for the experience. Because it's really uh, taught me a lot of valuable life lessons. Like one of the things I, even until today, that I I, I think there are two main lessons that I I really take home. The first uh was that you know don't pity yourself. Yeah, because uh you know it's very easy to 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 pity yourself. You think like oh you know I'm I'm miserable. I'm in a very uh, uh terrible state. I feel sorry for yourself. But you know this is very unhealthy mindset. It doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah. And then the second one was that uh, the only easy day was yesterday. Yeah. And that you know, you, you got to think that you are more capable than what you are currently facing and that things are just going to get tougher, but you will get tougher as well.
0: That's great. And so you kept a positive attitude and and uh, you learned a lot. So it was interesting, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I would definitely do it again and, and I would definitely you know, not repeat some of the mistakes I made. <laughs>
0: What yeah but I would love to have done it again. Marcus, what mistakes did you make?
1: Okay, so I think one mistake I made was that I didn't care more about my buddies. Yeah, because uh I, I'm one of the physically fitter people there. So uh sometimes uh you know because I can handle more, I I, I don't spare a thought for, for others. So for example, when I when I lead them uh in a navigation exercise, sometimes I, I walk too fast, yeah, and you know, people don't really or uh, uh, uh want to shout at you to slow down. Sometimes they can't also. Yeah. And sometimes uh, uh during uh when we like attack a building, if I'm the, the front guy, I tend to move a bit too fast. Yeah. Because I, I, I I'm not putting more of a thought for my partners. And that was a, a lesson which was drilled into me, uh mm-hmm. scolded for it. And and I, I had to learn the hard way that you know you really have to put in more effort to look out for your peers. And now, yeah, uh, something I, I, did I definitely learned and I wouldn't did want to you, be.
0: Were you an officer or were you an enlisted person?
1: Uh I was conscripted. I wasn't a, a an but I wasn't an officer, I was uh a, a, like a, a normal like soldier, yeah, mm-hmm. a corporal, yeah. I think the US uses the same ranks. <laughs> yeah, now,
0: that's interesting. Well, sometimes people do get promoted, you know, they come in as uh enlisted and they have a college education, sometimes they get to do officer candidate school. So you did that. You spent a couple of years doing that, and then you became how in the world you became a certified fitness trainer.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, after uh, near the end of the commando training, uh, there was this uh, there was this uh, agency that was looking to hire people to be fitness trainers. So uh, they needed people who were obviously fit. So you know the commandos was an easy place to to look for for such people. You know you, you can't be a fitness trainer. <laughs> You can't walk the top. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I I I I joined them and uh, I let uh, other recruits in the army to do uh fitness exercises. Taught them about the the fundamentals. Made a couple of friends uh, along the way. Yeah.
0: Interesting. And then you went to Nanyang Technological University. Where's that?
1: So it's uh based in Singapore. It's in the western side of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I, I think for you Americans, it doesn't make much of a difference because we're even smaller than New York City. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh,
0: but You did Nan Yang and you went, studied a uh, Bachelor of Engineering. And, you know, how did that, after you were in the Singapore Armed Forces, how was that? I mean, going back to college after being in the Armed Forces.
1: I think uh, uh, one good thing about going back to college is that at least uh, mistakes aren't life and death. Yeah. And that the i mean the worst thing that can happen to you is that you fail a, a test fail an exam maybe even repeat the semester but uh in the armed forces if you make certain mistakes people act, have actually died from those mistakes yeah you know they they were always telling us that safety rules are written blood yeah so i i think it was a lot less stressful that way, although it was kind of different type of stress but i think it was uh, definitely a more refreshing experience for me because i i'm definitely more academic than on the military side even uh back in the armed forces uh i would actually bring my books to the jungle (laughs)
0: you brought
1: your books to the jungle yeah i even brought like so like textbooks were were, some of my textbooks were in uh, electronic format yeah i printed them out so that i could read them in the army camp and uh, in the jungle because we couldn't use uh, electronic devices Oh wow, so actually printed like how, thousand, how, thousand pages.
0: Were you reading and people guns were going off? Or were you just
1: <laughs> No, I mean uh sometimes in the trading there's like down times, there's like rest times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so during like rest times, you no, know, while people are just talking, resting, doing nothing, staring at the sky, staring at the, the, the trees, I'll be reading my textbooks. And that or uh, 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 was something I really enjoyed. Uh really because I really did enjoy what I was studying. Yeah.
0: And what were you reading at that time?
1: Uh, math, physics, and uh, programming books. Yeah.
0: So you were like relaxing, reading math, physics, and programming books while you were in yeah. the Windows.
1: <laughs> because uh, even as a kid, I've always had a strong interest in robotics. That's why uh, I I signed up for engineering, and uh, the engineering I did specialized in uh, robotics. That was uh my my childhood passion. Yeah.
0: So you went to so then. You were an industrial attachment while you were in university for the Singapore Institute of Manufacturing, and you did an a adaptive robotic gripper uh, capable of industrial automation. Now, how did that come about? I mean, did you just like one day wake up and say, oh, I read this in the books and I'm going to build it?
1: Oh, well, uh, to be very honest, uh, uh, I didn't really have a choice on what I had to build during my internship. Yeah, it was more of a oh, you know, you have this uh hardware, make it work. Make yeah. it work, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And did you like it?
1: Yeah, I definitely liked it. Uh I definitely enjoyed the uh, area of robotics. Uh and, and having an intern really solidified that I really do enjoy engineering. Yeah. And it, it's definitely my my lifelong passion.
0: So you went from that, so you did that, the Singapore Institute of Technology, you went forward and and uh yeah, you, know, you became a robotic software engineer. What's as a system manager at IMDA? IMDA. What is what does that mean?
1: Okay, so uh, IMDA is a government statutory board. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they, we partnered with a lot of uh smaller companies to uh to launch uh, certain products because uh being in the government, we have the connections and we have the funding. Yeah, so we provided that both to to small companies and we helped out. With, uh, technology aspects. So one of the things I did was uh, was I helped out to, to make a, a computer vision model and distribute it to different robotic vendors.
0: And how was that?
1: Well, it, it was great. We helped them uh, secure some pilots because uh, being from the government, uh, it was easier for us to approach different ministries rather than, than they do it. So uh, uh, I think everybody was quite happy. We got we got a lot done. And and I definitely enjoyed the experience of being a robotics engineer.
0: So you did, you know, what is it? You know, one of the things it says that you implemented a fleet management system for mobile robots. What is a fleet management system for mobile robots? What is it like? You got a lot of robots together in a, in a fleet? Or what is that?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, you know, uh, if you have uh, multiple robots, Unlike humans, they can't really like uh, communicate and do sign language, you know. So, uh, you need some sort of uh, higher intelligence to manage these uh, robots. I'll think of these robots like a, like a like ants, and then the this fleet managers like the hive mind. So the, the the hive mind decides like okay, you know, uh, uh, this robot needs to go here, and then if there's an intersection, or if maybe there's a there's a there's a a, a one way alley, yes, yeah? it will tell like certain robot okay wait for the other robot to finish passing because without a fleet manager if there's certain intersections you know they're just going to collide they wouldn't know what to do
0: so when you do that what's going to happen though marcus once we use unsupervised ai and these these uh technologies start to really think on their own right so what happens you got a fleet that thinks and then you start to talk to one another how's that going to be
1: well i think uh uh it, it, it does, uh, you, you need AI for these things because uh, in a complex environment, there's going to be unlimited possibilities. And especially given the fact that you need to make a system that works for any number of robots, a system that only works for two robots. What's the point? You know. Right. So having an, an AI that d- dictates, uh, okay, you know, you should go to this path, that robot goes to that path and decides which robot does what jobs, it, it's really a more efficient way of doing things. Because uh, i give you an example if a robot is at the north side of the building and the task is at the south side you know there should be some sort of fleet manager that allocates the task to robot on the south side since the task is at the south it doesn't make sense to ask the robot to go from the north to south and then go somewhere else you know it, it it's it's not an efficient use of resources there's the whole point of fleet manager
0: that's interesting i mean i mean i can't imagine that for like the army you talk about the commandos imagine a fleet of army robots right yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that realistic? Do you think? That's yeah, it's
1: definitely realistic. Mark? Yeah, because uh, one technology that the army or uh, is exploring, but still in the science fiction space, is uh, killer drones. You know, in fact, actually, I think it's it's not science fiction anymore. I think the US has has used that already. Uh, yeah, but the point is that you know, if you can have drones that can uh, uh, uh move independently, the resources are lower and the risk is lower also. Yeah, especially these drones. uh, one very useful application is reconnaissance. Yeah, you know, in the army we have to do a lot of reconnaissance. To get a human to move to the enemy terrain, it's very resource intensive. Mm -hmm. However, to get a little small drone move there, they don't need food, they don't need water, and they're a lot smaller. (laughs) They can they can fly in the sky. Yeah, they they can hide much better than human.
0: Well, I think what's happening over in Ukraine right now really exemplifies that. Right the this is the time where drones and AI and those technologies are coming to bear. You know, we need to figure out how to use it for the goodness of humanity and not for the bad stuff. But it's coming to bear. and You know, it's amazing what's happening. And what about these things? I've heard about swarms of drones. Right. Is that true? Realistic where you have multiple drones flying together and then breaking off and thinking between themselves and, and how to do things? Is that realistic?
1: Yeah, it's definitely uh, realistic. Uh, have you seen like those uh light animations with the drones? Like uh, mm-hmm. uh in the, the the drones form like for example the word Gary in the sky. And then oh, you, you type that. out
0: yeah, yeah yeah you
1: type out what word any word you want they they form that word. Yeah. The technology is already there. uh, uh it, it's just quite scary to think what happens if you apply it in a war scenario. Well, that's
0: yeah. it. I mean, they start saying, hasta la vista, baby. You got a problem, right?
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, that's amazing, actually. So you did that. You used LiDAR systems. Where is LiDAR today? You know, is LiDAR, you know, we talk about self-driving autonomous vehicles. Is that realistic today? I mean, because you always you hear now about Tesla cars having crashes and those kind of things. How far is it from the point of, we have truly autonomous vehicles that can drive themselves and take us places to where we are today. What do you think?
1: I think uh, we are definitely only maybe like a couple of years away. Although that has been said since like 2010. But uh, I, I really do feel that we are a lot closer than back then. It's just that, uh, in fact, actually, I think that now self-driving cars are very good for like 99.9% of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe in some aspects, self-driving cars are even more reliable than people. But there is that initial uh, 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 barrier to adoption. People don't feel very comfortable about cars being fully automated. But in many cases, uh, uh, actually, self-driving cars are very good as long as you don't try to confuse them. There was an interesting video I saw where, uh, I think it was a Tesla, it was uh, identifying that there was a traffic light ahead and the traffic light was constantly moving. So it turns out that actually the traffic light was mounted on a on on a, a truck, yeah. You're transporting a bunch of traffic lights, and the Tesla kept thinking that there was a traffic light in front, yeah.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Or or you know, you go down through and um, I saw one video where a guy got in the back of his Tesla and sat in the back seat going down the highway, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't know if you can do it today, but at the time you could do it, and it was kind of funny watching it. But I mean, that would spook me to death, <laughs> <Instead> of <laughs> have a car, you know. I'm not saying there's going to be a problem but just in case but I think those have been solved now that you have to have your hands on the wheel right it has to sense that you're there. It's not like before we could jump in the back seat and you know some teenagers could take their friends for a ride and <laughs> let the car ride, right It's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah so tell us a little bit about you know let's fast forward to 2021. Let's talk about image machine and how you came up on the idea. what kind of things are you working on today? What kind of customers are you looking at, um, and where are you?
1: Sure, sure. Okay, so uh, as as I was telling you, you know, I was a robotics engineer. So uh, one of the things I faced was uh, the collection of data. It was a highly manual process, and you know, almost every company was doing it manually. They would hire uh, interns to take photographs and then annotate the the images. So. I felt that there was a better way of doing this. You know, we can't be gathering data and annotating it manually all the time. So I started my company trying to solve this problem. That's why uh, we call ourselves Image Machine. We wanted to, to automate the generation of images for, for companies. So we worked with some computer vision companies and then uh, we realized that you know why stop at just generating data? Why not do one of uh, our own computer vision applications? But for a while, you know, we we weren't really uh, too sure on what application to pick. Because if you think about it, all sorts of uh, computer vision applications have already been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whatever idea you can think of, there's already a company out there. It's only whether you know about it. So we decided to, you know, instead of picking something that somebody already has years of experience uh, or more than us, we decided to pick something that's totally new, the metaverse. So we decided to expand to the metaverse by using uh, our computer vision technology to to be able to recreate people as realistic avatars of themselves. Yeah. So right now where we are, we are still uh, developing the first prototype. We have uh, uh released a video and it's gotten a very good uh, response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A uh, uh, a concept video of how our product eventually look like. And uh, right now, our initial customers we plan it to be uh, other entrepreneurs and uh, uh, gamers. So another reason, other than the technology that we have, uh, another reason why I want to pursue a metaverse was that the pandemic taught me that you know we all crave human connection. It's something which uh, video calls don't capture very well, and that you know after the pandemic, everybody was excited to meet each other in person again. So, uh, but of course, you know, video calls are still great. It's it's a convenient way of meeting people across uh, distances. So, I was thinking, you know, the metaverse would be a great way to combine the benefits of both worlds. You know, we can meet people as if they were in front of us, but yet have that convenience of meeting them anywhere we want.
0: And so, you're making real life. What's a realistic avatar? What does it mean? Does it well?
1: uh, You know, we are hoping it looks like a, a. Almost as good as the the actual person, yeah, and and not like a cartoon from the night from nineties or, or 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 low a low standard uh, uh graphics. Yeah, we want it to really capture the, the how the person looks like, yeah, in real time.
0: So I mean, you look at like uh, you look at a gaming situations, but and you said entrepreneurs, but which kind of entrepreneurs? Where do you see the the market. Where is it? Like, who who would be a particular customer? Let's forget about gamers, but who else?
1: I think uh, uh, entrepreneurs who want to sell a product and need to do product demos would definitely be very keen on exploring this, because uh, in the video call, you know, it's it's quite difficult for me to show you a product. Whereas if you and I met in the metaverse, I could show you the product and you could interact with it, and you could understand how it feels, how it looks, and you can and and you can. Or uh, get a better sensing of what it looks like, yeah. And I wouldn't really call them uh, customers or call them users. We don't actually plan to charge people <laughs> to be in our metaverse. We we plan to uh, offer them like uh, options to create their own apps or to host uh pay to view activities in metaverse. So if you are like an entertainer mm-hmm. or a performer, uh, you can you can host host show in the metaverse, and then you 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 will get a revenue from your tickets.
0: So you're gonna how are you getting revenue? Talk about that again. You said with well, the tickets, but where's the revenue? If it's not in building the avatars, because I think that's really cool, right? But yeah how, yeah, how would you do it? So give me a give me a couple of different scenarios.
1: Okay, so the first way will be the entertainer scenario. So imagine if you are a, a celebrity and you want to put up a show on the metaverse where people can meet and greet you. Yeah, you can charge them, or uh, uh, maybe like a hundred dollars per ticket. And then my company would maybe take like $10 from that ticket, for example. Mm-hmm. So if you sell like uh, uh, 10 tickets, we'll, we'll, we'll take the 10% of all the revenue, for example. Yeah. Okay, that's one way. Yeah, another way would definitely be in the advertising space. Because uh, you will be able to do a lot of advertising that 2D screens can't really capture. So if you want to advertise in our metaverse, you have to pay us a fee. Yeah, those are the two main ways that we, we plan to capture our revenue.
0: Uh, got it. So, um, and if you want to advertise, you're going to get revenue from that. Where are you? How far are you away from revenue right now?
1: So, uh, right now, uh, actually, we plan to, uh, to to get revenue in the next few months. Uh, not through the metaverse, but uh through uh, uh, existing technology that already exists. Because for us, uh, we feel that the metaverse is definitely still quite far away. And, uh, uh, you know, everybody right now is, Every metaverse company now is, is is frankly afraid. You know, everyone's afraid of uh, uh launching some something that that is so computationally expensive, and then uh but doesn't make them a lot of money. So right now, actually, as I was telling you about the videos that we have, we have uh, very good signups, and uh, out of these signups, I plan to ask some of them to join into my Discord channel mm-hmm. that I'll create for this uh, and uh, uh and you know if you think about it. The metaverse is merely a scalable way to connect people. You don't actually need the metaverse to start connecting people. you know. So right. uh, if we can build a community based on the signups ups and, and then uh, increase the community from there, we can actually uh, uh, start to see whether uh, our idea of a metaverse can actually connect people together.
0: No, that sounds great. Listen, we're coming to the top of the hour. Uh, so closing thoughts and how do people get a hold of you marcus and what are you looking for
1: well i'm definitely looking for people to to join my community mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and definitely uh partners to to help build this metaverse together yeah
0: mm-hmm. and how do you get? how do they get a hold of you
1: well uh, uh you know you can contact me via linkedin or uh, you know my contact is on, on my my company's website yeah
0: so you want to go out to image machine Check it out, imagemachine.org, a great place. Closing thoughts, I mean, what do you think is going to happen with Image Machine over the next year?
1: Well, I think uh, over Uh the next year, we'll have quite a good community. People will be our metaverse uh, day one users. Uh And uh, I hope to use this community to, to test out all technology, get feedback, and iterate along the way.
0: Excellent, excellent. So I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join my show today. It's great. And to all my audience out there, thanks for joining one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler and I am your host. Stay tuned. We will have another exciting edition coming soon. Stay happy, stay safe, and more importantly, stay healthy. I'll be back to you soon. Thank you very much and take care of yourself. Thanks, Marcus.
1: Thanks, Gary.